We're reading from Romans 13. Starting with verse 11. Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Reliance. It's such a joy to, to sing with you and to participate in edifying one another through song. Um, I pray that, you know, why. Uh, as we continue to to learn how to sing with one another, uh, like, yeah, we edify each other through the songs that we sing. And I appreciate the time and effort, not just the worship team, but also the media team. Um, yeah, you very rarely see them, um, but you know when the slide's behind, right? Um, Aaron, you're doing a great job. Um, we appreciate you and Trevor. Uh we finished now. We're going to finish with Romans 13. Um, I tried to think through how many sermons to work through Romans 13. Elders pulled me back. And so I was just like, well, we'll spend like five, six weeks in this. Um, and I come to this conclusion here in chapter 13, verse 11. Do this. It'd be easy to go through Romans 12 and Romans 13 and not reflect. I think it'd be easy. We have spent a good two months going over and pouring patiently over these things. As Paul put before us, the standard of Christian life, Christian ethic, to go on to 14. Truth of the matter is, is Romans 14 doesn't make sense if you haven't considered Romans 12 and 13. I've grown up in a society which is so individualistic. And it's true that each individual on this earth has a responsibility to respond to the truth that God has made evident to every single person. But the means by which an individual lives out God's standard or righteous living is not individualistic, as we have come to see Romans 12 and 13. You can't do it alone. The reality is it's like, I find myself in the temptation to read Romans 12 and 13 and think of it how it applies to me. Um, I even read other scriptures this way. Uh, For example, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, referring to Christ, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I can read these things individualistically, whether it be in Romans 13 or Romans or Revelations chapter 1. But it, If we stop and step back, you can see how God has used his scriptures to call people to himself. And in light of his return, historically the church has recognized we have a limited amount of time to fulfill the expectations of the Christian life. Even in our text today, Romans chapter 13, the night is almost gone. Almost gone. And in light of Christ's imminent return, the means by which we actually exercise these things out, we are not promised a significant time to accomplish such things. And granted, Paul wrote these words a long time ago. And we are now the the closest generation ever to the imminent return of Christ. You might say, duh. (laughs) 
But the point is, we know for a fact, we are very close in relation to those who took these words seriously at the time at which Paul wrote them. And if that's the case, let us not be found idle. Do this. And as an individual, when I think about the return of Christ, I can think of these things individualistically. Like, I'm going to try to stress this point. And as we go along, I hope you can see that the mindset of the Christian thinks of of these things corporately as well. As Paul has already said in his letter, we all know that God will judge each. Romans 2, 6. God will judge each or render to each person according to his deeds. Romans 2, 7 and 8. To those who persevere, here's the promise, in doing good, seek for glory and honor, immortality, they will be granted this eternal life. You can see, and even in the beginning of Romans, this individualistic reality that I must not only respond rightly to God, but God is going to individualistically hold me accountable. But to those who, verse 8, who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. The Christian, as he reads through the book of Romans or through the gospel, realizes that everyone must stand before the throne of God. What I'd like to just step back and consider as we've gone through Romans 12 and 13 is step back and think as a body how will we fulfill these things that we've just poured over? For while we understand there's an individualistic responsibility, we also recognize that God is going to hold us as a people responsible. Um, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. But as Paul stops in Romans 12, the means by which an individual stands right or lives rightly before Christ is in his expression of worship towards another. Now, I don't have to labor this point, but what is sin? In Romans chapter 1, it's embedded with this, in, in, in this, this selfish ambition for oneself. And so he's captivated by his greed because one has more than him, or his envy, his strife, his deceit, he gossips, or slanders all the time just to lift himself above another. Sin is arrogant, it's boastful, disobedient. To parents, gossips. I could say them all over again just to make it more significant. But the reality is that sin is a selfish desire for oneself. It, it opposes one another. But what Paul has shown before us, what are the good deeds which God will render to each, every one of us, is it's going to be the expression of love that one gives to another. This is why Romans 12.1 starts out with the way it does. I urge you. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. He's going to be calling them away in light of the transformation that they've occurred in Christ Jesus to a whole new way of living, to do good. But what does that good look like? Be acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you... If you're careful and you're not like me, you're not reading this individualistically. Paul is writing to the churches in Rome. He's collectively calling them to this standard. Brethren, you plural, be acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Don't as a people be like the world, but be so transformed from the world by the renewing of your mind, so that you as a people may prove what the will of God is. Granted, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Granted, yes, there's an individualistic responsibility in that to be accomplished so that it can fulfill itself in its corporate body. One is immediately made aware of this. Let, us remind my, let me remind you of these things as we have poured over these things for the last several months. What Paul is pressing and verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone. It's really hard to read that individualistically. Church, 
I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, there is a right thinking that a church ought to have as it expresses its worship to God collectively. And so rather than in your sin where you were greed or you slandered or you were envious, now the new model is humility, service. It's really hard to read Romans chapter 12 and live as a Christian by oneself. I mean, just for example, like God has given to the church individuals within the body of Christ gifts. But the steward of the expression of the Christian life uses those gifts to serve one another. It's really hard to be a Christian with a gift granted to you by God and then not use it. The means by which you worship is by serving the other one with that gift. It's really hard when God gives the gift of teaching and there's no one to teach. It's really hard to be given the gift of exhortation and no one to exhort. You can't read Romans 12 by yourself. The question that I've come and as Paul has labored to put before us is what will we be as a people? I think it's a good thing to be reflective. Romans 12. Like, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer collectively. One more. Verse 15. I think you get my point. Just let me overwhelm it. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Relationship. One of the hardest things I think sometimes is participating in a new church. Like when Beth and I moved down to Dallas, Texas, one of the most difficult decisions that we made was where were we going to go to church? Because we know to fulfill these things takes time and a mutual agreement between a body of people that this will be our aim. And the means by which you actually Learn to rejoice is to actually have someone to be one, be close enough to be with someone you can rejoice with. And the other, which is probably the hardest within the church, is to weep with those who weep. Those things that which hurt us deeply demands an intimate relationship with a body. And if Paul has strived in Romans 12 to say, this is the standard of worship, I mean, think about it. In our culture, worship means song, which it is, that is true, and how often people will choose a gathering of fellowship based on song. And then when we read Romans 12 and 13, we find a highly different standard of worship, significantly standard, different standard of worship, that while worship in song indeed is important, but the deed of the Christian life towards one another has been and will be and should be the most significant when considering to join a people. Look at verse 16. The attitude of worship as a people. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Don't think you're all that. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There's this expectation within the body of people that when they get it, they truly get it, that is worship. And that is what God desires and calls or expects from individuals and a corporate body of people. So that when we read Romans 13, the standard of government to do good, continue to do good in these things, love one another, not just one another in the body, but also those whom you live next to your neighbors. When he comes to his conclusion in verse, chapter 13, verse 11, he sets the standard, do it. Now is the time. Look at, look at verse, 12, or verse 11. Um, let me give you a preface of where I'm going. <laughs> he lays out here in this section the expectation. 
And what I'd like to do is I just quickly walk through this expectation. Collectively, as a people, consider how Christ actually evaluated some churches. I think sometimes we look about at Christ and we think of like Romans chapter 2, that we all, yes, will have to stand before the throne. But we are giving glimpses in, in the scriptures where Christ literally evaluates the church in the practice of these things. And so I want to walk through this section real quick, the expectation, and then turn our Bibles to see how Christ ex- evaluates churches on, on these things. And so he says, Paul says in this expectation for the church, do it. Do this, knowing that the time is already at hand, the hour for you to waken from your sleep. Uh, Knowing the time, that is, already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. There's There's this transition when one becomes free from sin and alive in Christ, this temptation to to wait. Many of you know that I do triathlons. But outside of the triathlon sport, when, whenever a race is about to begin, when the gun goes off, there's no confusion of what to do next. Even in a swimming event, when there are those who are reluctant to get into the water, when they hear the gun off, they know what to do. Christians should be so marked that when they understand the standard of righteous living, a genuine response of worship, they know that the gun has gone off. And there is no point in delaying. There's this attitude which Jesus even taught his disciples. And when it regarded sin, like cut your eye out, cut your arm off. There's this immediate response to the will of God. There's this anticipation that the race has begun. And Paul says, now is the time. Practice these things. Don't wait. Stop sleeping. Oh man, how horrible would it be if Christ came and he saw reliance sleeping. Know these things as taught in Romans 12 and Romans 13 and to be idle with them or, or, or casual with them. And I, what, what's so striking about that to me is the frequency in which Paul, Peter, James, the apostles write these things. How often the author of Hebrews states this reality. They know that the Christian, as they pursue moral excellence, will become weary at times. Author of Hebrews, don't drift away. Don't harden your heart. When the Lord calls, wake up. There are times in my own life where I've been convicted of sin, even from another brother or sister in Christ. And I think to myself, well, maybe in a few, years. I'll give that up. Uh, mine was video games. It's a 20-year-old, like going to Bible college, getting wrapped up into video games. I thought to myself, in my 30s, I'll take this seriously. Paul would say, wake up. Let's be found addicted to such things by Christ. You guys are like, he's a geek, video games, but there are your own issues that you have delayed with. Lay aside the deeds of darkness, for now salvation, you do not know how much time you have as a person to fulfill these things collectively. That's the idea that Paul puts before us in verse 11. If an athlete knows what to do when the gun goes off, a Christian who knows who Christ is and his righteous standard, there should be no question about what must be done next. Philippians 2 is, it, Philippians 2 is an example of this expectation where Paul writes this elsewhere. Chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved... 
just as you will have always obeyed, not all as in my presence only. It's easy um, as a child to obey when your parents are in the room. Imagine the apostle. Love one another, be kind together, don't be wise in your own estimation. Paul's in the midst of it. Oh, we love each other, we're so good. He said, that's good. But then the standard is higher for what he puts for the church when he's gone. Now much more in my absence. Stop that, Paul. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now you could read that individualistically or you could read it as Paul intended collectively. That we do these things together. For it is God who is at work with you, both to will and to work for his good pleasures. So then, don't do what you once did when you were all worried about self. Do all these things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove, same word we see here again in Romans chapter 12. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children, plural, of God. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have no reason to glory because I do not run in vain nor toil in vain. Why do I emphasize this so much? Your response of of your understanding of what Christ has done for you, how your worship is fleshed out, is through your relationships with one another. For you once formerly lived for self, now being saved from your sins, now you ought to live in worship by serving one another. And you don't have much time to do it. Verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day is near. So therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in, in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. And he could have gone on and on. You get his point. But as a people, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, individualistically and corporately, and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its passions and lusts. You ought to be known as a people that are distinct, that works out their salvation with one another, that, that makes these things that we have read over the last two months as its aim. And so if you find yourself distant from a body of people that you can exercise your worship of God through, I urge you not to become idle there. I mean, this standard is put out everywhere by Paul and the apostles. The reason why Paul wrote the book of Ephesians was to encourage a people together to do this. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. We don't know how much time we got to do this. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, which this this responsibility to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of, our glo- of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people. Isn't that cool? For his own possession, zealous for good deeds. If we make the gospel merely about saving me from hell, we fail to realize the significance of the great news. While that is true, that God it was gracious towards us in Christ Jesus, that we might not bear his wrath, but Christ bared his wrath. But there's more to the good news that he is so shaping a new people for himself. 
And that new people get to gather around in fellowship and, and enjoy one another and work out their salvation together. And as they do, they worship. But you know these things. We have said these things often. So what I want to do now, recognizing and knowing the expectation, is just look at a couple of the evaluations which Jesus revealed upon how he saw some of his churches acting. You'll read this in the book of Revelation. My daughter, I told her, she asked me, when will you preach out of Revelation? I said, I'm not preaching out of Revelation. Going, and I said to her this last week again, it's been the last month, I've preached out of Revelation twice. Careful what you say. Right? And we can consider these things and we can actually see how Christ evaluates the church and then maybe through this we fear it for ourselves that we might actually respond in genuine worship. I mean, Jesus, the reason why I read I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, the God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, there was this expectation by the church that he was coming. John's terrified by him. He sees the risen Lord Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. This is cool. John, who walked with Jesus, when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed in his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I have all authority. Position, the right judge to judge rightly. To fear him is a good thing. In even light of his return, the people of God have fearfully and reverently lived accordingly to that return. That he says to the first church, and as we go through this, it struck me. When Jesus begins to evaluate these churches on what they do, He doesn't say Adam or Greg or he doesn't call out people per se. He calls out the church and he gives an evaluation of them as a people. That should cause us some thinking. Verse 2, chapter 2, Ephesus. I know your deeds. Ooh. He sees. So often, Christ who's come, resurrected, now sits at the right hand of the Father, how that perception of Christ is distant to us. No, he's with his church. No, he's the head of the church. He cares about his body. And then he reveals what he sees. I know your deeds. And your toil and your perseverance And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who are called themselves apostles. And they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And if we were to read Romans 12 again. You can see the expectations. Perseverance. There's this love for the truth. Do not, uh, there's the passage in Romans 12, abhor evil. And as a people, they have practiced these things. Good job. You've been faithful. To know the truth, to guard the church, and protect the church, and to eliminate those who would call your people, the people of God, from it. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you. Uh, shucks. There's one church that gets it right. I'm not going to look at it. Because um, I want to collectively think convictionally how to respond to these things. But anticipating the, the evaluation of Christ, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The issue here for Ephesus was the commentators agree with this. I'm thankful for it. Um, they love the truth. They love their theology. They love their doctrine. Verse 4, who is the first love? If you know John, you read John. 
the world knows your love by the way that you love one another. To demonstrate your love for Christ, it is the demonstration of how you love your brother. Service and exhortation and devotion. He talks about John, this in his evaluation, in your pursuit of truth, you have forsaken one another, so to speak. Man. You ever meet the person that loves that particular doctrine? And they are so fixated on that piece of doctrine, they can't see anything else. I mean, I went to Moody, and I heard people talk about predestination, and the way they talked about predestination, I was like, <laughs> oh, Because it was harsh. Had no regard for the other person. And it was, wasn't loving towards one another. A church had become so passionate about the truth that they became a people who forsake, or not forsake, but their love for one another diminished. And this was his evaluation of the church. Therefore, verse 5, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Our, our Savior, is rep- He's gracious. And do the deeds you did at first or else. <laughs> Ultimatum. I am coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you have done, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans. I made that up. I hope that's right. Which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... Who he who perseveres, who endures in these things, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As I read Ephesus, I was thinking of reliance. We we do love our doctrine. You come to the pastor meeting afterwards, you'll hear us say, We want to preach the word of God convictionally. We want to get it right. Oh, uh, but we could be prone. In our practice of Romans 12, pursuing truth as we pursue truth, disregard one another. So to the extreme, that it would be, as Jesus evaluates his church, I'm going to remove your lampstone, lampstand. It's that important. Not only to be those who know the truth, but not to do it. It's to be just like the Pharisees when Jesus rebuked. So when Paul says in Romans 12 and 13, do this, don't just get the the principles right, but also have the heart with it that engages in the practice of such things. Consider with me Thyatira. When I read these things, I feared... Jesus would come and give us an evaluation. I mean, it's always so nice to read the evaluation of somebody else. Isn't it? But that's been guided. And these, these are great words. But encourages the church. God's watching. Jesus is watching. He loves his church. And he has expectations for his people to collectively work these things out Together. Thyatira, I know your deeds. Verse 19. Every single one of the church, I know your deeds. Unescapable. Nothing gets out of his reach. I know your deeds. Oh, this church is doing something right. And your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That's excellent. It should end there, right? But Jesus, in his evaluation of his church, he praises them for their service towards one another. Man, that would be the heartbeat that I would hope that we'd be found faithful in. But what is their rebuke? Verse 20. But I have this against you. 
that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they are so that they commit acts of immorality and they eat things sacrificed to idols I gave her time to repent and she did not want to repent of her immorality so you have a church that actually loves one another but is beginning to participate collectively in sin. It's the opposite of Ephesus. You have an Ephesus church that's so, we preach the Bible, we know the truth, that don't love one another. Thyatira, it's all about love. They find themselves participating in morality. I gave her time. Verse 22. Behold. Now this is what Jesus said he was going to do to his church. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Unless they repent of her deeds. Once again. The evaluator, the Lord of lords, the king of kings is gracious towards his people. But Verse 23. I will kill her or her children with pestilence, sickness leading to death. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. As Romans 12 is taught, you know, love one another, but in the same verse, abhor evil. The church had been faithful in one, but despised the other. Verse 24, but I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Now look at what he says. You'll hear Romans 13, 11 through 12, 14. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. There's this expectation that Jesus even has for his church. I'm coming. And when I come, I hope you as a people are found faithful. How horrible it is. This is a blunt revelation or truth. How, how, how horrible it is for a husband to be found in sin when his wife comes home. And we know the reality of that reality. How gross that is. But even worse, for God's people to be participating in immorality when he appears. And in that urgency and that understanding, we don't know how much time do we have to live out these things. We pursue with great aim, we hope, to fulfill the standards of ethic, Christian ethic as revealed in Romans 12 and 13. Hold fast until I come. Verse 26, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end to him. I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. So I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. See, the reality is, is that we could be one or the other, right? You could be a church that's so fixated on getting the truth right that you neglect loving one another. I've seen some of the fruits of that Tradition in which you, you can be a Christian without going to church. Right? There's the sense of that the gospel's all you need. But then you read Romans 12 and you don't practice love towards one another. And there's this form of doctrine that you hold that's not consistent with the rest of Scripture. Or on the other side, we just want to let people in. We just want to let them know we love them. Over time, you're actually participating in their sin. Both perspectives Jesus is not impressed with. One more. Oh, I pray we're not this one. Sardis. For chapter 3, verse 1. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, he who is perfect and sees all things. 
I know your deeds. And that you have a name that you are alive. Every church plant, Adam and I, sitting in a living room slash kitchen, small apartment. What will we call this church plant? It's a big decision, right? And we came up with the term reliance. Well, this church in Sardis came up with a name. We'll call our church alive. Look at his review. Well, you have this for you. You're called alive. You're dead. Absolutely worthless. Well, it's Jacob's paraphrase. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. The gun's gone off. And strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. It's the church that doesn't care about doctrines. It doesn't care about its love for one another. It's, it's... So remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. There's this repeated, repeated truth. I'm coming. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in a white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name. Now, isn't that terrifying? I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to to the churches. Reliance let us not fall into this idea that each of us are just going to randomly stand before the Lord individualistically. It's true. It is true. But his eyes are on the church. And when Paul says, Romans 13, 11, do this, he's calling the church as a people to these things. You can't worship. This is our convictional response. You cannot worship without the brother. You do, not con- you, conf- you do not confront a brother in sin unless you fear Christ's return, that that individual will be found that way. That's why there's, there's, there's this desire to prepare every one of us rightly before the appearing of Christ. And it's in that devotion towards one another that we do this in love and in grace. It's this fervency in the Spirit that when God called out, just as remembered, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, He didn't do it one by one by one. He called a people out and established them. That's the idea of the church. The, the idea that there is a church that exists within Tri-Cities, multiple churches, is the very grace of God. But by the means by which we express our worship towards one another is by recognizing the responsibility that we have towards one another. Do this. Knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awake from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. I said it at some point along the way. I fear for ourselves what Christ might say for us. And I fear, like, for me, things, it's easier not to reflect on our own church. You want me to know, you want to know how I feel about that other church? How easy that is to do. I could give you a list. Why is it that we can't do that for ourselves? There are some things that you do well. We do well. You serve this city well. You have a reputation within this city for giving of your time to one another in this city. 
for the sake of the gospel. You have a reputation that you love the gospel. You know the gospel. You're ready with the gospel to preach. I've been here in Tri-Cities for eight years now. And if there were anything to critique, it would be as a people in Tri-Cities, there tends to be this, like, you can come this far. And I think with COVID, the things that we've had to go through the last couple of years, I think that has become double-fold. We're, we're, some of us are very careful to actually talk about what we're dealing with. Because we've seen how the world reacts to opinions. I would encourage you, just as I've always encouraged you, the means by we express our worship towards one another is through knowing one another. If you're not in a small group, I plead with you to get in one. Because to fulfill these things of like um, weeping with those who weep, like it's easy for us to rejoice with those who rejoice, but I have found over the years the opportunity to actually weep with those who weep requires a time, a period of, of relationship to be established that we can actually bear our burdens with one another, with trust. Because some of us deal with stuff like are really big in our eyes, but another isn't. And if there's the level of trust that we can establish one another, then we can actually talk about how we feel said it, I've learned this, that a people who can actually talk about how they feel with one another, you have relationship. You do. But if you can't talk about, <laughs> sound like a counselor, can't talk about your feelings. But if we can't talk about what's bothering us in our daily lives, it just shows you how close we really are to one another. Um, if you were to, to, to evaluate your relationship with Christ with your relationship with the beloved here, Reliance, what would that look like? Husbands, you want to know how you're doing well with Christ? How's your marriage? That's probably one of the greatest ways to evaluate where your relationship is with Christ. Both spouses. Children, same way. I would plead with you um, get close. And you don't know how much time you have, so don't wait to make it happen. Um, I have one other thing that I would like to encourage you with. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Do this. One of the things that I love about the youth at this place, whether you're in middle school or in high school, you guys serve. You set an example for us, and that is a fruit that is making me, I, I'm proud of you. And if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler or wherever you're at in age, a college student, there's this, I grew up with it, when I get into my 20s, then I'll start doing ministry or start serving the church. No, the doest, do this, is for you. Do it now. You would see it at the door today, the people that are serving, greeting, have, ushering people into this church. You don't have to be 60. And you can be of whatever age to serve in this church, whether it be serving coffee or on the stage. All I would plead with those who are younger, don't wait. Don't wait. If you've been here for a while, and you haven't found the place to serve yet, I think there's a good way to respond. Take your connection card out. I want to be in a small group, and I want to serve. Now, wake up. See the opportunity before you. And let us, I pray, that I was convicted by my love for truth, that I would be also faithful, like the church in Thyatira, to love. 
be faithful in serving one another. I think we all could fit on one or the other. Love for truth and actually not patient with the other, or we love one another and we don't care about truth. That's not true. That's underestimated, but I think that's it. Don't wait anymore. I understand by like making a big decision to participate and join a church, that's a big decision. But if you find yourself a year from now not doing anything, and this goes for you who served this church and then stopped. I think this is, again, get in. The way that you express your service towards one another is by doing these things, so prove it. It's this urgency of when God comes back, the things at which he would love to see you doing is loving one another. And as you love one another, it sets the foundation to express to the world around you love for them in Christ. I think that's enough for today. What will we be? I think it's helpful for us to even individually consider where we're at, corporately, to remind us of these things as we go forward. Let's pray. Lord, you, you went at odds with the Pharisees who knew the truth and did not do it. Oh, Lord, you know our hearts as elders, our leaders within this church. We love your word. It is good. It gives life to our bones. But Lord, I pray that as we spur one another on, as we grow weary over time, Lord, that we be a people that would encourage one another to keep going. Not out of guilt, but as a realization, this is what God has freed us to do. And Lord, I pray that as a church, that our connection with one another, our devotion to one another, that the windows and the doors of opportunity to be able to speak each other intimately would continue to increase. And that as our love and our service and our bearing up with one another continues, Lord, that you would be found that we would be found faithful. We know we're not perfect. <laughs> But Lord, we still yet strive to be like your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.